Okay, we're back in Haggai chapter one. So if you've uh, if you've lost your place, please do find it again because uh, uh, I pray that uh, this will become clear as we uh, we read it. Haggai is often a uh, a book that's wheeled out when the church is planning a building project uh, because it's about rebuilding the temple uh, in Jerusalem. But Haggai's message isn't so much about a building, but about the relationship that that building represented. Now, uh, uh, I've got a bit of trouble at the moment. You might notice that I'm not wearing my wedding ring. I took it off to do some washing up just the other day. And I, so it, I'm sure it's in the pocket of some pair of trousers, but I, I haven't found it uh, uh, in the last day or so that I've been looking. So uh, uh, that's an issue because although it's not expensive, it is very valuable to me. It reminds me of the vows that Catherine and I publicly made on August the 9th, 2003, and the obligations that uh, we have to each other because of that. It's, it's precious to me. Now, uh, I was at youth club uh, a little while ago, and uh, there was a, a lad there who had an identical ring. And I said, oh, look, uh, we've got the same ring. And he, and he said, oh, yeah, it was my, my uncle's wedding ring. Clearly, the uh, the marriage had ended. The ring was no longer precious because the relationship that it represented no longer existed. So giving it away d- didn't matter. It was rather a lovely thing for an uncle to do for his nephew. But imagine if I gave my ring to him. If uh, I said, oh, look, I, I don't want this. We can, uh, you know, maybe we can use it as a washer on your bike or something. It, it, Catherine would be cheesed off, wouldn't she? It would show contempt for our relationship. Uh, The temple was an incredibly important symbol of Israel's relationship with God. And the fact that they had been content to leave it in ruins for years showed complete contempt for it, and more importantly, for the relationship that it represented. Now, it's difficult sometimes to join a story halfway through. Who are these people? And what's going on? Why is the temple in ruins? Uh, My... uh, my daughter's favourite films are the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Obviously, really, isn't it? Of course it should be. Uh, but when I asked my parents what they thought of those films when they recently come out, they didn't think they were very good. In fact, my mum described it as a lot of silly running about. And I'm sorry if that ruins your respect for them, but uh, I mean, certainly I was disgusted. And when I probed a bit further... It emerged, they'd only seen the second film. They didn't know how the story started and they didn't know how the story ended. And if, if, you've, if you've seen the second film of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, try, try and put yourself in their position. You know, they, they just saw you know, mountains and a bit of muffled shouting. And then there was this fiery cow and then a pensioner who was for some reason skydiving. And then he had a sword and it went on. And then they've got... Three men, one rather short, just running, just running and running and running. And that's kind of the first quarter of an hour of the movie, isn't it? So you can see why they were prejudiced against it at that point. But uh, what was one of the greatest achievements in cinematic history, according to my daughters, it doesn't make any sense to them. It seems nonsense. Now, the book of Haggai is made up of just five prophecies from God all given in under 10 months. So if we 
read it on its own. We kind of miss what's going on. So what we're going to look at this evening, first, we'll see the story so far. Why was God's house so important? Secondly, what was Haggai's message to the people at the time? And then thirdly, we'll look at what does it say to us? So first of all, why was God's house so important? Well, the original house of God was the tabernacle, the uh, portable temple built when God made a covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, uh, just after he'd rescued them out of Exodus, the, uh, out of Egypt, sorry, in the book of Exodus. The, the tabernacle was the way for, for God, who cannot stand sin, to have a relationship with his people who are sinful, and so he could live among them. The people were made symbolically clean on the basis of the sacrifices made there at the tabernacle. Uh, and as we look at the tabernacle, it's actually meant to point us back even further than the Exodus to the Garden of Eden. So let me read a few verses from Genesis chapter 2. This is starting at verse 8. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And out of, uh, out of the ground, uh, the Lord uh, made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and is good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon, that it is the one that skirts the whole land of uh, Havilah, uh, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Uh, Bedellium and the onyx stone are, are there. Uh, the name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is uh, Hidekel, and it is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Uh, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And as we look at the description of the, the tabernacle in Exodus chapters 26 to 30 and of the temple that replaced it, uh, in Solomon's time, in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapters 5 to 7, you notice that there are lots of similarities. There's lots of gold. There's onyx on the, uh, the high priest's uniform uh, and his, his, his clothing. There's lots of water, lots of designs that uh, are made to look like plants and fruits. Lots of, uh, lots of water. Uh, um, and then you wonder, what? What's bdellium? <laughs> I had to look it up. It's a, a kind of uh, resin from a tree. But, but the only other place in the whole Bible that it's mentioned is Numbers 11, verse 7, where it talks about manna. And it says that manna looks an awful lot like bdellium. Uh, and where was the manna kept? Well, apart from the stuff that turned up fresh in the wilderness each morning, well, it was in a pot, in the ark, in the tabernacle. Now, I don't know if that last bit's significant, but I'll tell you what is, uh, is that when we read about uh, the, uh, the tabernacle, we're meant to think, hang on, that sounds an awful lot like the Garden of Eden. 
It's not exactly the same because Adam and Eve had rebelled. They'd sinned against God. Uh, there's not the same intimacy that there was in the Garden of Eden. Um, they had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But although the, the punishment was death, they didn't die on that day. Instead, we saw God's mercy. So here I'll read from Genesis 3, verse 20, 21 and following. For Adam and his wife, the Lord God, made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hands and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the, the Lord God sent him out of the garden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man uh, and he placed cherubim at the east of the, the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So where Adam and Eve should have died, an animal died instead and, and God covered, covered them over with uh, the skin of that animal. That sacrifice was made so that their shame could be covered over. Uh, and just like in the, the, the temple sacrifices, they, the sacrifice was made and symbolically, their shame was covered over. But there were lasting consequences for their sin. They were driven out of the, the garden uh, and cherubim were posted on the east side, blocking the way into God's presence. And this was re reflected in the design of the temple. So Exodus chapter 26, verse 30 says this, uh, and you shall raise up the tabernacle according to the pattern which you were shown on the mountain. So Moses saw the original, the reality that was there uh, in heaven, and, uh, and the tabernacle is a copy of it. Uh, you shall make a veil of wo woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. You shall hang it upon the four, uh, the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Uh, their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there, behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. So just like in Genesis 3, sin blocked them off from the face-to-face -face kind of relationship that Adam and Eve had enjoyed with God's. The way into God's presence was still blocked on the east side of where God's presence was. Hung this curtain, covered in cherubim, uh, as if they were God's bouncers, barring the way into God's presence. But through the tabernacle and then later the te temple, they could have the, a kind of arm's length relationship with God. So that. Their, their representative, the high priest, went through that curtain once a year to uh, offer sacrifice, representing them. Uh, this relationship was part of the covenant that God had made with, with Israel after he rescued them out of Egypt. This relationship uh, uh, and was such that if they were faithful, God promised that he would bless them. He would bless their, their crops, their livestock. Uh, he would keep them 
and protect them from their enemies. But if they were unfaithful, God would impose certain curses under the covenant, as the covenant stipulated, as discipline to bring them back to repentance uh, and, and to humble themselves before the Lord. But if they finally failed to repent, if they stopped listening to him, then they would eventually be kicked out of the land that God had promised them. So this was uh, in about uh, 14, uh, the, the 15th century BC, and uh, uh, then in the, the 10th century BC, uh, Solomon built uh, his, uh, his temple, as uh, God had promised David that he would. Uh, and then in 560, sorry, 586 BC, after many warnings, the temple was totally destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. He destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the land, and the people were carted off to Babylon. They'd lost the promised land, just as God had warned. Then in 536 BC, King Cyrus came to the throne um, after the Babylonians had been deposed. And uh, he wanted people, wanted all the nations in his empire to return to their homelands, to rebuild their temples and to pray for the king. So, uh, so he gave them permission to return. But because of opposition from the regional governors in that area, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the new king of Persia after Cyrus um, commanded them to stop. Work had been abandoned uh, for another time. So that's the story so far. So let's see what Haggai was saying to them. Well, please imagine that you're one of the Jews living in Jerusalem in Haggai's day. You moved there 16 years. It was a massive upheaval to leave your home in Babylon. And uh, you went so full of enthusiasm to rebuild God's house. But things haven't gone very well. The city is a huge charred heap of ruins, so hard to scratch a living and raise crops on land that has gone wild, let alone go up into the mountain to Jerusalem and spend protracted periods doing building work there. There's a new king and you really want to rebuild the temple. But really, I mean, now scarcely seems the right time. It's, it's hard enough just getting by. And uh, you seem poorer than ever. Uh, you've got your own troubles to worry about without building this temple in Jerusalem. I mean, absolutely. You definitely want to see the house of God rebuilt. And you, you really hope and you pray that it would happen too. But you've got to get yourself sorted first. And it, it is to these people that God is speaking uh, in verse 2. So have a look at Haggai chapter 1 verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses, and this, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much but bring in little. You eat, but don't have enough. You, you drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages 
earns wages to put into a bag with holes. I want you to imagine there was a fireman called Dave. Dave always wanted to be a fireman. He loved it. And he wanted to be the very best fireman that he could. So he did loads of weights and followed a strict diet to get as fit as possible for firefighting. Uh, besides that, he rolled in every extra course that he could. Uh, he uh, did an, an advanced driving he did advanced driving courses to uh, get as quickly and safely to the uh, to the fire as, as possible. He did lots of endurance training to stay in great shape. But the problem was, whenever a call came through for them to scramble to the rescue, there was always something else on. So uh, Dave was in the middle of his HGV driving lesson and he missed it. Or he'd, he'd just been doing a heavyweight session and his arms were pumped and stiff and He'd be useless. He said, sorry, boys, you go on without me. I'll be with you on the next one. It's not the right time for me, but you go for it. I'm with you in spirits. And uh, the call came through again, and he's booked onto a first aid course and couldn't attend. The time was not right. Soon it would be. He meant well. And then Dave retired, having never been to a fire. He'd uh, spent his whole life doing good and useful things potentially, but never got round to the one thing that he was there to do. Now, this is a stupid story, of course, it's not real. But you get my point. The people had come to Jerusalem for one reason and one reason only. They had their mission to rebuild God's house. Their houses and crops needed to be worked on. But if the one reason they came the one mission God had given them was neglected. What was the points? Uh, they might as well have stayed in Babylon. Like Dave, the fireman, always busy doing useful stuff, but never doing his job. Now, the next few verses would have been a terrible shock for them. So, verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple." that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mount uh, on the land and the mountains on uh, on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands you see here's the real shock the real shock is that the Lord their God was actually sabotaging their efforts. Things were tough, not just because they were in a fallen world, but partly things were tough because to bless them whilst they were neglecting his house. Now, it wasn't that these people were sleeping rough and doing their best and they hadn't managed it yet. No, he mentioned you're living in your panelled houses. So there's a, a level of luxury and beauty that they managed to bring to their domestic arrangements. Uh, and yet they still felt that they didn't have anything spare to contribute 
to rebuilding the God, uh, the, the Lord's house. And his message to them was, look, you, you have to put God first or none of your other efforts will be worthwhile. They had no right to expect God to be blessing them while they failed to put him first. They were suffering on the basis of the very same covenant curses that culminated with the temple being destroyed in the first place. So that's God's message to them. So let's think, what does Haggai chapter 1 mean for us today? Well, we have no temple now, no physical building that we go to to, uh, to worship. I mean, especially at the moment, with, uh, uh, since lockdown, we, uh, we, we genuine, church genuinely doesn't mean anything to do with the building, does it? But the temple was always a picture. It pointed back to Eden, as we've seen, but it also pointed forward to Jesus. So Jesus says in John chapter 2, verse 19, uh, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the, of the temple, uh, sorry, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. So do you notice what Jesus said? He's not saying, here's a little illustration for you. My body is a little bit like the temple. No, his body is the temple. The, the, uh, the bricks and mortar temple in Jerusalem was the illustration. His body was the real thing. Jesus' body really was the place where God's spirit dwelt living among his people. He laid down his own life as a sacrifice for the sins of God's people, just as had been done in the earlier temple and tabernacle. And when he was on the cross, do you remember what he promised the repentant thief? So this is Luke 23, 43. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, paradise is a word that in Greek, it literally means um, the garden. So he, he, he said to the, to, to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in the garden. It's a phrase that in the Bible, it only talks about Eden. That's all it can mean. Today you will be with me in Eden. And it is through Jesus that we come into that wonderful relationship with God. You remember the very next thing that, happened uh, after Jesus had, had said that. The, uh, uh, in Luke's gospel, uh, as Jesus dies, the t curtain in the temple that blocks the way into the presence of God, woven with all those images of the cherubim that bar the way back to Eden, it's torn in two from top to bottom. God was showing that the cherubim had been removed. They had been relieved and finally their duty is done and they go. The way is no longer, uh, no longer barred. It is open for his people to approach him. Now, if you're a Christian, uh, you are united with Jesus. We are his house. We are his temple here on earth. 
So 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, uh, do you not know that you are the temple of God? The, the you there is plural. He's speaking to a church, not individuals. You are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And again, it doesn't say you're a bit like a temple, but verse 16, you are God's temple. As Christians, we are where God dwells through his Holy Spirit. Um, we are, uh, uh, it is, uh, uh, and here we are, um, sorry, my, uh, I have a problem with my, <laughs> sorry, I have a problem with my battery, but there we go. Right, we are where uh, God, God speaks, uh, where God dwells through his, his spirit. Um, Uh, again, it's uh, uh, we are the place where we are to sacrifice uh, with, uh, according to Romans 12, verse 1, to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. It is through us that God has chosen to bring other people into a relationship with himself. So today for us, building God's house means building up and discipling each other and telling others the good news about Jesus. Now, this is the one reason we're here. This is the, uh, these are the standing orders that Jesus gave us when he ascended into heaven. So when you read your Bible with your kids, that's temple building. It's an act of holy worship to God. If there's a believer that you've had a row with, well, that's damage done to God's house. And so when you patch that up, that is temple building. When you share your faith with someone in work and encourage them to trust in the Lord Jesus, well, it's temple building. When you help out with the church ministries or, or pray for them and sacrificially fund them, you know, that's temple building. When you're praying for missions and supporting them, uh, or when there's somebody who's having a tough time and uh, for, for Jesus' sake, you serve them and encourage them and help them, that's temple building. And it will never seem convenient. It will never be the right time. Like the people in Haggai's day or Dave the fireman, there will always be other good and necessary things to do. So when you're a youngster, you think, okay, I'll, I'll do it when I'm older. I'm too young at the moment. And then you're busy with exams. And you think, okay, now's not the right time because of the coursework and the exams and these, this business. And then, you know, it, you're just starting out in work or, uh, you know, you're, you're, this is a critical time in, in work when you're taking on more responsibility. I will, I'll get around to it at some points, but now is not the right time. And then you have young children and it's, you're too busy, but, but you'll get to it. I, I promise I'll get to it. And then it's the children and then your parents are elderly and you take care of them. And, and then, and then you're too old and you've spent your whole life doing good and useful things, but neglecting the one mission that Christ has given to us. It's so easy. Maybe today there's reasons, things that you know you should be doing. And could
I'm sorry that we were so rudely interrupted by uh, my laptop battery. I apologise for that. But uh, please, uh, back in uh, Haggai chapter 1, uh, verse 12, did you notice the response? All the people responded and obeyed. They, they, they all came together to rebuild the house of God. Um, everyone did it. They weren't, they weren't just praying, oh, I hope the Lord raises someone up. Uh, no, they, they all came to play their part. I'm sure they, they were able, able to do different things. Some of them were cooking meals for, for the workers. Others were mixing cement. Others were gathering stones and cutting timber. But everyone played a part. Everyone was involved. And have a look at the Lord's response. Thir verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you says the Lord. 350 years later, Jesus called the disciples together on a mountain just before he ascended to build his church, to go out into to, uh, all the nations and make disciples, uh, teaching them to obey everything he commanded. God hadn't changed. Uh, so, uh, off the, uh, so that means, uh, as he says, look, uh, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Which means he's with us now. He's the same Lord as he was then. Um, they did what, uh, what seemed impossible at the time, and yet God empowered them to, uh, to serve him, and, uh, and it was done. In Haggai's day, it seemed, it seemed impossible. It seemed too hard. And yet it was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and there are, you know, to, to make that command to disciples on a mountain, there's 11 of them and there's all the worlds. It seemed impossible. And yet it's being done. There are nations that uh, Haggai would never have heard of. He'd never have heard of a Welshman or an Englishman or... Uh, Half the nations that are represented here in the congregation, they never have heard of them. And yet, playing our parts in building up the temple that fills the earth, people from every tribe and tongue, we have a part to play. And it's just such a wonderful privilege. Let's not say, I need to put it off till later. Let's find a way of serving God today for his honour and glory's sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, uh, uh, that you haven't changed, that you call us to play our part in building up your house. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege of doing this. And Lord, we pray that we would not just hope that somebody else does it and hope that uh, you raise up someone else, but Lord, that we would want to play our part, doing whatever we can to the very best of our ability to build up uh, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Heavenly Father, please be at work within us and show us how we can serve you uh, and that we would know that exquisite joy of having the Lord Jesus with us through his spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to close with uh, a, a wonderful hymn. It's one of my favourites, uh, uh, one of the oldest in the hymn book, Be Thou My Vision.
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God bless you and keep you.